Well, there was a Saturday where the pastor was out visiting members of his church, and he came to one house, and as he knocked on the door, he could hear some commotion inside, so he knew somebody was home, but they didn't come to the door. He knocked again, and uh, then a third time before he finally took out a card, uh, a business card of his, and he wrote on the back, Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him, and I will dine with him and he with me. And the pastor put that in the door and left. Well, Sunday morning, his business card turned up in the offering plate. And on the back of it, underneath uh, Revelation 3.20, the person had written Genesis 3.10. I heard the sound of thee in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid myself. Well, as we turn in our Bible today to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verse 20, and we could even write in Genesis 3.10 because as Jesus writes to the church at Laodicea, he tells them that they are naked and they should be ashamed. Jesus has other words of correction for them. He says uh, that they are lukewarm, and because of that, they are detestable to him. And as Christ calls on those in Laodicea to raise the temperature of their faith, uh, we'll see that these are words that apply to us today if we too have grown complacent in our faith. I invite you to look with me now as we read Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 18. Jesus says, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God says this, I know your deeds and that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were, ra- you were cold or hot. So that you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you, and you say that you know that you are wretched. And I'm sorry. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves until, uh, until that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and I salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. Now, as we're reading this letter, this is the last of the seven letters in the book of Revelation. We've been going through a series where we've looked at the uh, seven letters that were sent to the seven cities over in the area of modern-day Turkey. And today, as we come to the last of the letters to the church at Laodicea, Uh, This was an extremely wealthy city. Some of the others had been wealthy, uh, as we've seen before, but Laodicea was in a level uh, all its own. Uh, They had several industries there that brought the city great affluence. One was that they had perfected the breeding of a black type of wool. It was a a glossy wool uh, which brought fame to the region, and they would make this into a tunic, a black tunic, that was called a tremita. In fact, it was so famous, it was a fashion uh, type of garment that sometimes Laodicea was referred to as trimitaria because of this garment that was produced there. Another thing that Laodicea was known for was an eye ointment. They had a medical school there, and they were uh, famous for treating eye diseases. And they had uh, perfected some type of a modern medicine of the day that they would mix with water and oil, and it created an eye salve that was said to cure many of the diseases of the day. Now, in addition to this, uh, they had a lot of wealth in the city, not only from what they they, uh, were able to sell, but also from the, the... Uh, gold that they found in the region. 
Laodicea was such a rich city that when they were hit with an earthquake in 60 AD and the city was uh, pretty much destroyed, Rome tried to give financial assistance to help rebuild the city, but Laodicea said, we will do it all on our own. The Roman historian Tacitus said, Laodicea arose from the ruins by the strength of their own resources with no help from us. So this was a city that was wealthy. This was a city that was independent. So much so that as Jesus writes to them, he says, uh, you, t- you guys have become uh, independent of me. You feel like you have no need of God in your life. You want to do it all on your own. But he reminds them of their need for him. And ultimately that he is the source of all that they have. Jesus begins here by telling him that he is the Amen. And as Jesus uses this title, it's one that's used in the Old Testament in Isaiah 65, 16, where he's called the God of the Amen. And uh, the word amen means truly, truth, or faithfulness. It literally means so be it, or be it true. It's why we end our prayers by saying the word amen. What we're doing is saying we agree with what was just asked, and we're saying, God, would you make that so? It's why sometimes in a sermon you'll hear somebody call out amen, because what they're doing is saying, I agree with what you're saying. And so as Jesus is called the Amen, this is a title that speaks of him. He's called the faithful and true witness as well. Uh, This description of Christ would have stood in stark contrast to the city of Laodicea. You'll recall that as Jesus writes these letters to each of the churches, as he uses uh, titles and descriptions of himself, it not only speaks of the attributes of who God is, but it also was used to counter the culture of the day. And those who lived in Laodicea were known for compromise. And the reason that they were known for compromising, one of the the big issues was the water supply of this city. Where it was located, it did not have an abundance of natural water. Uh, And so they had to bring water in from the outside. In fact, they they would pipe it in from six miles away. And because of that, they didn't have modern pipelines like we do in our day. Things were not buried. They were open uh, things to the elements as well as to the the people around. And because of that, uh, people could easily compromise the water supply. It would be easy to, to disrupt it. And so those in Laodicea took on a culture of peace at any price. Uh, they didn't want any trouble with anybody in the surrounding area, so they compromised on everything. But as Christians, we're called to be like Jesus Christ, one who is faithful to speak the truth and and not just what people want to hear. There's a story of a small town pastor, and he was forced with a tough decision. Uh, There was a a very rich and well-known businessman in this little town that had passed away. And the, the brother of the decedent, the person who had died, was a partner in business with him. And he came to this pastor And he said, I want you to preach my brother's funeral. And at my brother's funeral, I want you to tell everybody that he was a saint. Now, the pastor, as he's looking at this man, said, you know, I can't say that. Uh, He said, the reputation of your brother and you in this town is anything but that. You guys lie, you cheat, you steal. Everybody that you do business with is is cheated by you. He said, "I, I, I can't say that. And the businessman said, I thought you'd feel that way. So he reached into his pocket and he pulled out a check. And he opened it up and he laid it on the table and he handed it to the pastor. Now, as the pastor looked at this check, it it had more zeros on it than he had ever seen in his life. 
And he said, that check is for you and the church. If you will say that my brother was a saint, then that money is for you to do whatever you want with it. Now, as the pastor looked at this check with all these zeros, and he thought about the needs of the church and, and the ministry that could be done with it, uh, he, he was tempted, but he, he, he said to the man, I'm sorry, I, I can't do that. And he pushed the check back across the desk to him. Now, the businessman said, I'll tell you what, the funeral's in three days. I want you just to hold on to that check, and you think about it. And if you decide that you're willing to take the bargain and say that my brother was a saint, you cash that, and you do whatever you want with the money. And then he walked out of the door. Well, the pastor, looking at this check on the table again, thinking of all the ministry that could be done, was tempted, but he said no. And he opens his desk, and he put it in the drawer and closed it. Now, the problem was each day he would open his drawer and there was this check staring back at him. And finally, after two days of wrestling with himself, he took the check to the bank and he cashed it. He made sure that it cleared and it did. And uh, the day of the funeral came and as uh, people were coming in, the, the brother of the other businessman who had died walked up and with a smug smile on his face, he said, I knew you'd take it. He said, now remember our bargain. You have to say that my brother was a saint. So the preacher gets up and he, he begins the eulogy and pointing uh, at the living brother who's on the front row, he said, everybody here knows these two brothers. You know that they're liars, they're cheaters, they're thieves, they rob everybody in the way they do business. And this guy on the front row is sitting there with these huge eyes. And then he points at the casket and he said, but compared to this man, his brother was a saint. <laughs> Jesus is called the one who is faithful and true. He's one who wants us to be like him. One who will not waffle. One who will not compromise. One who will not give in to the, the temptations, the influences of our culture. Now, as I say that, listen, friends, I know exactly what you face. I'm not only tempted as a person in my own affairs and in the, the own things that I deal with, but as a pastor, I face temptations as well. Uh, some of them are like the story I just told you. While the details are different, I've actually had people in similar situations show up with large gifts, uh, people who are powerful or rich who will say, I want you to do such and such, and if you do, I will fund this initiative in the church, or I will give to that building program, or I'll do this or that. And uh, there's a temptation. There are times that pastors face another temptation, which is to fill the seats in their church. And, and they know that if they compromise on teaching the truth, if they stay away from some of the unpopular topics, if they uh, maybe shade something or don't say all that God says, that it'll be easier to fill the seats. Sometimes the temptation comes uh, on a side where they, they want to be popular and they want to be liked. Uh, speaking the truth earns you enemies. And there are times that there is a temptation where you want to be liked and so you're going to hold back on something. But what God says is we need to be like him, faithful and true, and say the things that are true. Now, to speak in, in love, of course, some of you will remember recently we had David Brickner here. He was the executive director of Jews for Jesus. And David uh, has shared with me, and he said it's okay to share as well, a story of a time where he was invited to speak on the Larry King live show. Now, in this uh, service, many of you know who Larry King is, but I'll have to explain in the next service. <laughs> 
that it's kind of like uh, Jimmy Fallon now on The Tonight Show, who took over for Jay Leno. They don't know who Jay Leno is as well. But many of you know who Larry King is. And uh, he, he has a very popular show in his day. And, and he, he said to uh, David, he was invited to the show. Now, the producer of Larry King, they always kind of set the table in advance of these interviews. And, and he said, do you believe that Jesus is the only way to heaven? And that everyone, including Jews, uh, needs to come to Christ in order to be saved. Now, as some of you know, Larry King is a Jewish man himself. Uh, we don't know if he's a believer. But uh, David Brickner said, yeah, I believe that, of course. And the producer said, now, if, if Larry asks that question point blank, if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell, including Jews. Are you, are you going to say that you still believe that? Or are you going to waffle on it? And David said, no, I'm going to say that. And he said, now, if Larry pushes you on this, are you going to pull back from it? And he says, no. Why, why are you asking these questions? You know what I believe. And he said, well, we've had several prominent Christian leaders on our show before. And when we get to that question, those who said they would answer it as you did, uh, at that moment, they compromise and they don't say that. I mean, here is, a, as far as we know, a non-believing Jewish man who is giving a platform to millions of people in a public venue to share the gospel. And Christian leaders pull back from speaking the truth. Why? Well, because many of them are prominent authors, best-selling authors, speakers who make uh, a lot of money off appearance fees in some cases, conferences and things. And they know that by saying uh, Jesus is the only way to heaven, if they quote John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, no one comes to the Father but through me, that they are going to lose audience. They are going to lose book sales. They are going to lose some of the, the revenue that comes in. And so they waffle and they compromise. Now, David stood true and he shared the gospel uh, on Larry King. But others do not do that. Last week, we talked about the places that God has put each of us as individuals, how God has us in our schools, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. And he says, I've, I've opened a door before you that no one can shut. And I asked you last week to think specifically of a person that you would pray about, and then you would share the good news of the gospel with. I don't want you to raise your hands, but how many of you followed through? How many of you last week uh, asked God to give you that opportunity, and then as the door opened, uh, you, you stepped through it. You courageously took the opportunity God presented. Now, maybe you're saying, gosh, Roger, I didn't do that. Or some of you are saying, me, me, I did it. That's wonderful. Do you realize God has given us a new week with new opportunities? Uh, This week, will we step through those same doors? Will we be those who are faithful and true witnesses? We see in, in verse 14 that Jesus also says he is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, this isn't saying that Jesus had to be created like we were or the world was. As you read the Gospel of John, it tells us in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1 through 3, It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being by him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. The word translated as beginning here means the origin. Literally, it is the source. Jesus Christ says that he as God is the source and the beginning of all things. 
God is the one who made us. He's given us all that we have. Whether we're talking about the time we have, the talents we have, the strength or the energy to make a living, God is the one who has given us everything. So as he writes to those in Laodicea who were saying, we don't need God. We're independent. We can do it all on our own. Jesus is reminding them everything you have from the time and talents and wealth and breath you have even to do the very next business transaction comes from me. You are dependent wholly on me. It's easy for us to fall in the same trap as those in Laodicea did. You know, we live in a country, a land of plenty. And while some of us are thinking of the things we don't have that we would like to have, when you look at the rest of the world, uh, we joke about first world problems versus third world problems. Every one of us here has an abundance. And, and it's easy for us to be like the Laodiceans, to, to lose sight of God, to forget where we, everything that we have comes from him. When is the last time you woke up in the morning and said, God, thank you for the breath in my body. God, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. I mean, are we wholly dependent upon God or are we like the Laodiceans where we're in danger sometimes of forgetting who God is and all that he's given to us? Those in Laodicea were being reminded him, reminded here of him and all that God has given them. Jesus said to them in verses 15 and 16, I know your deeds and that you are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Now, when Jesus says they have become lukewarm, uh, it's something they, the, again, the culture of the day would have communicated to them. They knew very well what lukewarm water was like. I told you that the water had to come from six miles away. Here is a, an aqueduct by Caesarea. When I was over in Israel one time, I, I, I took these pictures, and you'll see that broken away part of the, the aqueduct. There's this open channel. And so as water would come uh, down this channel, there were, there were two sets of springs that Laodicea got their water from. One was uh, Denzeli, was these really cold, cool springs. And that was six miles away one direction. And as the water would travel through this open aqueduct exposed to the sun and the heat, what do you think happened to the, the cool, refreshing water after a six-mile journey through that? Yeah, it kind of warmed up. And the other was down by Heropolis. There was a, a hot springs, piping hot springs where people would go to for a medicinal bath and they would soak in this warm mineral water. And that too would travel long distances in these open aqueducts. And over time, the same thing would happen. What was piping hot would turn tepid and lukewarm. Here's another set of aqueducts over in that region. And you can see how they would be able to move water for six miles in that day. And you also see how uh, it would be open to destruction if any enemy wanted to take out the water supply to the city. And so whether the water started cold and refreshing or hot and medicinal type of uh, uses, by the time it got to the city of Laodicea, their water was this tepid, lukewarm water. Have you ever taken a mouthful of warm mineral water? Anybody? I'll, I'll give you a hint. It makes you gag. Uh, and that's it, literally what Jesus says. When he says, I will spit you out of my mouth, the Greek word means I'll vomit. And so he said to them, uh, the way that you are living, the way that your lives are, you're not hot on fire for me. You're not cold even, uh, but you're this lukewarm, uh, mealy mouse temperature that makes me sick. Kind of encouraging words, right? 
But Jesus is the faithful and true witness. He's speaking the truth. And he says to them, you've grown comfortable and complacent. And, and the taste of you to me is detestable. And he says, you need to make some changes in your life. Um, they're, they're a church that I'm sure were, were coming to church occasionally. In, in ministry circles, we joke about CEOs, not CEOs of corporation, but that stands for Christmas and Easter onlys, right? The CEO type of people who show up just a few times a year. Uh, the, the Laodicean church was probably had some of those CEO Christians, those who would just occasionally darken the door. Now, being as rich and affluent as they were, they probably, as the offering came, they said, sure, we'll put a little money in the plate. It didn't mean anything to them. Uh, when the songs were sung, maybe they just mindlessly mouthed the words while they were thinking of their shopping list or something uh, going on. They, they were there, but they were not hot for Jesus. They were not living for the Lord. As, as you think in terms of this church, they were kind of content to be a car that was in neutral and just coasting along. And as Jesus looks at them, he says in verses 17 through 18, Because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have, no, and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. He says, I advise you to buy from me gold refined by fire that you may become rich and white garments that you may clothe yourselves and and that the shame of of your nakedness may not be revealed and eye salve to anoint your eyes that you may see. You know, as this letter shows up in Laodicea, I'm sure the people in the congregation were saying to the pastor, "Uh, would you check the address on that letter again? I I think we got the wrong mail. I mean, how in the world can God say we're poor? We're rich. How can God say to us we're blind? What do you mean we're known for the eye ointment we produce in this city? Naked? Can't you see my fine black tunic? And that was the very point. Jesus was speaking to them in that culture, in that city, and saying everything that you think you're doing great in are the areas that you've lost sight of God. You, you are so dependent upon yourself and your own abilities and your wealth and your, and your things you're famous for that you've forgotten. You've forgotten who I am and where everything you have comes from. Remember, they were rich. They had gold in the region. And he says, no, you need to buy my gold refined by fire. In 1 Peter 1.7, we're told the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire may be found as a result of praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God tells them you have eye ointment that you think presents, prevents blindness. And he says, but you've become blind spiritually. So you are blinded to the things that are really important. And John 9:39 Jesus says for judgment I came into this world that those who do not that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. God says outwardly you you think you're styling in in your clothes and he says but you're naked you're wretched. He says you don't need uh this fine black robe you, you know in 1 Samuel 16:7 it tells us for God sees not as man man looks at the external it says but God looks at our heart. And as he looks at the Laodiceans, he says, outwardly you look great, but inwardly your heart is, is dark and dying, and you're lacking uh, a living relationship with me. As God looks at them, he says, you don't need your black robe. 
You, you need your blackened heart to be changed. You need a, a, a personal relationship with me. We've seen in the previous letters how those who are with God returning from heaven and those who are in heaven will receive a white robe, one that has been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And Jesus says that's what you need. You need the righteousness that comes through a relationship with me, the one who died to pay the penalty of death for your sins. He, he tells them in verses 19 through 20, Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and I will dine with him and he with me. You know, I hear this verse, Revelation 3.20, used all the time in an evangelistic sense. The, we, we say to a non-believer, Jesus is standing at the door knocking. Will you open the door and receive him and have a relationship with him? But as you look at the context, it's for us who already know the Lord. Jesus paints this sad picture of how we have put him out of the house, so to speak, out of our lives, and we've shut the door on him. He, he says, I'm, I'm standing at the door. Uh, you say that I'm yours and you've, you've put me out. You've grown cold and distant or you've segregated off some part of your life where you said, God, you can be in my life, but this, this little room over here, that's off limits. I've locked you out of this part of my life. And what Jesus says is I'm, I'm standing at the door knocking. Uh, there's a famous painting by Holman Hunt, and here it is. And it shows Jesus standing at the door knocking. Now, I want you to notice two things about this painting. First of all, look at the weeds that have grown up. Uh, so obviously, this, this door hasn't been used in a while. This is uh, the picture of some of our lives where we've neglected our relationship with Christ. And so there, the, the things in the world have overgrown and taken over. Rather than there being a well-worn path where God has this intimate fellowship with us. Another thing, you can't see it as well in this picture, but when it was painted, several of Holman's friends said to him, uh, you've made a mistake on your painting. And he said, what is that? And they said, you forgot to put a door handle on your door. And Holman said, oh, no, I, I did that on purpose. He said, there's a handle, but it's on the inside. And you see, that's the picture of our relationship with God. God has given all of us a free will. And he says to us, I'm not going to force my way in. Uh, you have the opportunity to receive or reject me. You are the one who, who controls the temperature of our relationship. He said, I'm not going to push my way in. Jesus could kick the door down and come in. Uh, but instead, he stands back and he says, I'm here. And I desire a relationship with you. I desire intimacy with you. Eating a meal in that day was the highest form of intimacy. It's why, uh, as you'll recall, when we looked at Joseph, the Egyptians would not eat with the Jews because it was loathsome. It's why the Jews were mad when the Gentiles were eating with other Jews because they said, we, we don't do this. That was a sign of intimate fellowship. And so what God is doing here is he's saying, I want intimate fellowship with you. Uh, but I'm standing at the door knocking. It's up to you as to whether you will let me in or not. If Jesus were writing to you today, would he say, I like what I see? Or would he say, you're lukewarm to me? Some of you have seen the movie War Room. There's a scene in it that I want to show you now. So watch this clip. Coffee will be ready in a couple of minutes. Oh, sounds good. Now I ran a sales report from the area. Wrote down a suggested asking price for the house. Mm-hmm. Well, what do you think? Mm-hmm. Now, what did you say your husband did for a living? 
Um, well, we actually haven't talked about that, but he's a sales rep for Brightwell Pharmaceuticals. Uh-huh. And uh, where did you say you attended church? Well, we occasionally attend Riverdale Community. Uh-huh. So you would say you know the Lord? Yes, I would say I know the Lord. You think the Lord is okay with this asking price? Uh-huh. <laughs> and you have children? Miss Clara, my husband Tony and I have been married for 16 years. We have one daughter, her name is Danielle, and she's 10. She enjoys pop music and ice cream and jumping rope. Oh, well, that, that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Now, you say you attend church occasionally. Is that because your pastor only preaches occasionally? Miss Clara, I really would like to help you sell your house. That's why I'm here. As far as my faith is concerned, I believe in God, just like most people. He's very important to me. Mm-hmm. Well, let me get our coffee. So if I asked you what your prayer life was like, would you say that it was hot or cold? I don't know that I would say it's hot. I mean, we're like most people. We have full schedules. We work. But I I would consider myself a spiritual person. I'm not hot, but I'm not cold either. Just, you know, somewhere in the middle. Here you go. I've got cream or sugar if you need it. Oh, no, thank you. I like it black. Miss Clara, you like your coffee room temperature? No, baby, mine's hot. Some of you right now are saying, you know, Roger, I feel a little restricted. You're, you're asking me, am I hot, am I cold, or lukewarm? But are, are there additional choices? Um, well, I guess we can shade it a little for, for those of us who might need a little more uh, choices. Some of you will remember the days of a stick shift. I drove a five-speed stick for a, a long time, and uh, a five-speed, actually, really, you have seven choices, right? Because if you put it in, if you just clutch it and do nothing, that's in neutral, so it can, you know, roll along. Uh, and as you, you move up through those, you've got reverse, that's one choice, neutral is second, and then your five speeds. And so as you think in terms of your life this morning, how many of you would say you're in reverse? Maybe uh, rather than knowing the Lord and moving forward, maybe you, possibly you don't even know him, and you're, you're going backwards, so to speak. Rather than moving toward the Lord in a relationship, you find yourself this morning going backwards and away from him. You've rejected him, or you, you're feeling more and more distant. Others maybe would say, I'm in neutral. You know, I really haven't made a decision yet. Uh, I, I'm, I'm listening, I'm learning, I'm processing. Uh, others of us maybe are in first gear. We know the Lord. Uh, we're, we're just kind of, as you know, when you started to learn to drive a stick, you'd kind of, <clears throat> the car would jerk along as you tried to get into gear. Uh, now, if you ever tried to go from first to fifth, what would happen to the car? Yeah, yeah. I don't think too many of us ever successfully made the jump from first to fifth. You just stall out. And, and I share that with you this morning because some of you may be sitting here saying, okay, Roger, I'm going from cold to hot. I'm just, I'm going to, today it's different. My relationship with God is now on fire. 
Well, it's kind of like a marathon runner who was a couch potato yesterday and declares himself a marathon runner today. Uh, chances are pretty good they're not going to be able to get up and go from couch potato status to running a marathon. You have to begin to ease into it and train and build up and work. So I share that as an encouragement, not to discourage you from going from cold to hot, but just to say rather than trying to jump from first to fifth and say, I'm going to spend two hours studying the Bible and an hour in prayer and 10 hours you know, doing this, start with just a few minutes a day. If you haven't been doing anything, uh, say to God, today, God, I want just to spend five minutes with you in prayer. Five minutes with you additionally in your word. Just read a psalm, read a proverb, read uh, the Gospels. Uh, don't start in the book of Leviticus, you know. Uh, go, go to something like the, the Gospels. Start with John and read through there and say, God, you wrote this. Holy Spirit, you're the author. Would you help me to know what I'm reading? And, and ask God to begin to help you grow in your walk with him. If you're already in first, you're already doing that, then move into second. Take it up. Go from 10 minutes a day, five in prayer, five in Bible study, to 15 or 20 minutes a day. And then go from second to third and keep taking up your, your time and your relationship with God and the ways you're serving him up another notch. God tells us there is no time for neutrality. He says in verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. The word repent, as you've heard me say many times in this series, means to stop, to turn around and go back in the other direction. God says, if we're going in the wrong direction, stop the car, change gears, and go in the right direction. Go from reverse to forward. Uh, stop moving away from me and instead turn around and come to me. Say to me, God, I recognize I'm a sinner and I've been far from you and I haven't been living as I should. And today, God, with your help, I'm stopping and I'm turning around and I'm coming home. I'm coming to you, God. I'm accepting you as my savior, maybe moving from neutral to first, taking that first step of faith where you say, God, I'm still learning and growing, but I know enough about you to know I'm a sinner and I'm lost and I'm far from you. And today, God, I want to begin my relationship with you. God's not about rules and ritual. He's about a relationship. He wants it to be personal. You think of that picture of the door where he's knocking, and he says, I just want to come in. I just want to sit down with you. I just want to have a cup of coffee. I want to have fellowship. I want to spend time with you as you do with your best friend. And that's what God wants from us. But he tells us here not to be in neutral not to coast along. He says, be zealous. The word zealous means on fire. It, it means hit the gas, get up and get going. Now, as, as you're thinking in terms of doing that, it's going to look different for each of us because, again, each of us is in a different place this morning. But wherever we are, God says all of us can increase the speed, so to speak. Each of us can raise the temperature in our walk with God, the relationship with him. As you know, if you ever shifted into fifth gear, you got on the highway and went into overdrive, that's where the best gas mileage was. Those are the, the places that you were in that sweet spot. And that's what God wants for us as well in our relationship. He says, I want you to move from a duty where you feel like this is a burden to a devotion, where you have that love relationship with me and where you're excited about your walk with me. As you serve me, it's not a burden, but it's an overflow of your love for me and for others. 
In verses 21 through 22, Jesus says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've seen in 1 John 5, 4 through 5 previously that an overcomer is a man or a woman, a boy or a girl who has put his or her faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, as an overcomer, as one who has come to faith in me, he says, I have a place for you in heaven. I have a place for you at my table, the banquet table in heaven. And he says, uh, I, this is a, a future reward that he, he says is waiting for those of us who are believers in Christ. As you think about your life this morning, uh, where are you? Which one of these would describe your relationship with God? And wherever you find yourself in terms of it, God says that he wants us to move from being cold to hot. He doesn't want us uh, in neutral, being lukewarm. That's detestable to him. So as we close in prayer today, I want you just to think about your life for a moment, where you are in your walk with God and your relationship with him, and ask God uh, for wisdom for you as to what the next step is, what you need to do. So I want you just to talk to God for a moment. And I'll close our time in prayer. Will you join me, please, as we go to the Lord in prayer? Lord God, as we've looked at your word this morning, we thank you for the picture that you paint for us, one of great intimacy that you desire. And Lord, we we know you can force the door open. You can, uh, as the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, you could kick that door down individually in our lives and uh, force us to come to faith in you. And yet, God, you've given us a free will. And you desire that we would come uh, as those who want that relationship. Lord, while you're not willing to force us uh, into that relationship, you also love us too much to just walk away when we shut the door. We thank you, God, that you stay at the door knocking, that you're there gently reminding us that you're here and, and you want that relationship. And, Father, there are some sitting here this morning that have felt Uh, that nudging in their life recently. They've known that they've walked away from you. They've felt the promptings of the Spirit. And they know that today, Lord, is a day where you're calling on them to uh, move from being lukewarm to getting hot for you again, to raising the temperature in their, their walk with you. Father, I pray that you'd show each of us what we need to do. It may be, Lord, that there are some here today that are in reverse, that they have been running from you. And today, God, you're letting them know that it's time to hit the brakes, to shift into first and to turn around and come back to you, to start going in the right direction. And I, I pray, Lord, that would happen, that they would yield themselves to you and they would turn from their sins and to you, Jesus, to be their Savior. Others of us, God, have been just coasting along, and we've been content, complacent. Maybe like the Laodiceans, we have uh, felt we don't really need you, that we're the captain of our own destiny. 
And we thank you, Lord, for the reminder today that we need you, Jesus. We need you in our life and as the Lord of life and the one who is the giver of life, not just eternal, but even the gift of each day that we need to turn to you and acknowledge you and walk with you. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us uh, to, to move into the next year, to raise the temperature of our walk with you. Father, others here today are, are in fifth year. They are walking with you, and they are in great fellowship, and they are being used by you. And we pray, Lord, you just continue to encourage and strengthen them and uh, move them along and use them in great ways. But, Father, wherever we find you, find ourselves today, we thank you that you're there waiting for us, and you're ready to take us to the next step. So we ask, Lord, for the, the wisdom and leading we need individually. We ask, Lord, for courage to take the next step whether it's to uh, start to be more real in our relationship with you, with peers and family or coworkers, or, Father, whether it's just those individual quiet times that nobody sees that we would raise the temperature. So we just commit ourselves to you, Lord. We thank you for this day, the gift of life, and the opportunity we'll have in a moment uh, just to, to go out to Morgan's and enjoy community and fellowship with one another. So we commit our day to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Go in peace to love and serve the Lord.